This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. You know, start putting these things together and start building your own family tree. Even if it's on a scratch piece of paper with a couple of crayons, I don't care what it is, you start putting two and two together and you realize there's something else there. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 80 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Wow. Wow is my reaction to the colon cancer 2017 Tomorrow Can't Wait conference. Just got back a little more over a week ago from the conference in Cleveland. And first and foremost, it was so spectacular to get to see and in many cases meet so many of my online colorectal cancer friends and buddies. It was just so truly special to uh, reconnect with old friends and meet several new ones. You know who you are. I'm half tempted to give some shout outs, but I know as soon as I do that, I'm going to leave somebody really important out. So to all my friends that my wife, Linda, and I got to spend time with in Cleveland, it was truly a pleasure. Thank you so much. I love you all dearly. And thank you for being a part of my life. One of my highlights was getting able, was getting the opportunity to take a group photo with many of the folks who've been on this show before. And I just felt bad that there were three people that got left out of the photo. I'm going to see if I know anybody with some really good Photoshop skills that might be able to fix that for me, but just know uh, Jasmine Mejia, Joy Friedman, and Diana Sloan, uh, you guys are awesome, and I wish you were part of the picture, and we'll just have to do it next time, I guess. The biggest takeaway from the conference was the huge announcement that took place uh, Wednesday evening, November 1st at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where the CEO of the Colon Cancer Alliance made the big announcement about the rebranding to the Colorectal Cancer Alliance and with some fantastic and very exciting plans for the future. Here is my post-announcement interview with the CEO of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance, Michael Sapienza. I'm with Michael Sapienza, CEO of the now Colorectal Cancer Alliance. Michael, congratulations on the new announcement. What was the thought process that went into the rebranding? So I, I think number one, you know, the Colon Cancer Alliance and now the Colorectal Cancer Alliance has been the leader in our space for a while and we really felt it so incredibly important not to have the 40,000 plus rectal cancer patients that are diagnosed every year. Um, you know, we wanted to be inclusive and that's what we did. So today we launched the Colorectal Cancer Alliance with, you know, three main pillars. One, research, invest $10 million over the next five years, as, as you heard, with a concentration on young onset for the next three years. You know, our second pillar is to support more patients, so to double the number of patients that we serve. Uh, you know, you do that through this podcast, and we do that through our helpline, through our live chats, through our patient journey, through the national conference, through all the other incredible things that we do. And then the 
third piece is our prevention. So to save 100,000 lives in the next 10 years through prevention screening. That's exciting. You know, I, I always like to try to get to the, the root of the story. What do you think mom is thinking right now? You know, I, you know, last week when I walked into, we had the Blue Hope Bash, which is our big gala in Washington, D.C. I walked in there, and I always have her prayer card in my pocket on big nights like this, and I think she would be incredibly proud. And just so excited that, that, that her, her legacy and her memory is able to inspire and motivate people to help others. It's just, it's, that's what, the way she lived when she was living, and I, I just feel very, very lucky and, and humbled that we have so many people now in this community and continue to grow to be able to help others. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So it was a great first day of Tomorrow Can't Wait, uh, the, uh, the, the conference. We have a, a half-day uh, planned for tomorrow. What do you hope that the people who've attended this conference uh, take with them when they head home tomorrow? I think number one is knowledge. And I think number two is hope and empowerment on you know, whether they're early on in their journey or whether they're later on in their journey, is, is the education, the resources, and the knowledge on how to fight this disease um, with more grit, with more grace, and with more, you know, just, I guess, education and knowledge. It's so incredibly important. What do you, what do you, what do you feel when you see the community and the, the, the bonding that happens amongst the people that are here? I think it's about darn time that colorectal cancer wasn't the stepchild in terms of the different types of cancers that are out there today. And we're really hoping that with the launch of this new brand, with the launch of these three new pillars, and the you know, entire community and the excitement that we see, you know, that we will no longer be the stepchild and we will be you know, able to have the same amount of awareness, the same amount of funding for research and all these different things that I think most patients and survivors have probably felt for 10, 20, 30 years. I know I have. Yeah. Michael, congratulations again. Thanks Thank for all you, the great Lee. work you're doing. Thank you Appreciate so much. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So, for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to h2ors.com sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. As I think back on the conference, uh, first and foremost, if you were not able to attend I was able to do some podcasts from there, and all you need to do is just subscribe to the Colon Cancer Podcast. Just go to the coloncancerpodcast.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll be able to scroll back through and listen to those podcasts that I took that I did at the venue, so you'll be able to get a little flavor for what was happening there. And you won't miss a single future episode, and we've got some great episodes coming up. But I think as I kind of got the vibe from the group, the highlight presentation, there were, there were probably two. The first morning session, 
that took place at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. John Marshall and a number of other medical professionals. That was a spectacular presentation. And that one and the presentation by Dr. Sage Bolte on sex and intimacy, just picking up the vibe from the room and the engagement of the people in the room, those presentations were absolutely incredible. And I was not able to record Dr. Bolte's presentation, but she's been on the show before. So I highly recommend, just got a lot of great feedback, go back to the coloncancerpodcast.com forward slash 069, and you can interview to my earlier interview with Dr. Bolte. A lot of great presentations. Another one that jumped out was my interview with uh, Scott Wilson, a photographer who is just put out a book called Through the Window. Uh, and if you go back and just find that previous episode, uh, when I interviewed Scott, you'll learn more about that. But this book that uh, Scott has put together, he was giving the proceeds back to the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. So if you want to learn more about that, you can visit ccalliance.org forward slash through the window. My guest this week is Dave Dubin. Dave is a two-time colon cancer survivor and also has Lynch syndrome. Several years ago, Dave founded a nonprofit organization called Alive and Kickin'. That's spelled Alive, A-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-K-I-C-K-N.org, aliveandkickin.org, where there's a lot of great resources for those of you that have Lynch syndrome. You can also find Dave uh, all over social media. He is on Twitter, at Alive and Kickin' DD for Dave Dubin. And he's also on Instagram, Alive and Kickin' DD as well. And uh, we had an interesting conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Dave Dubin. Dave, welcome to the show. Appreciate you making the time. How are you? Uh, it's all good. Pleasure to be here. It's been a while, as we were talking before we hit record, it's been a while since I've had, uh, sometimes I know they're affectionately known as lynchies uh, on the show, so uh, timing is good, and I'm glad you could be here. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was, I'm looking over your organization, your foundation, and we'll dive into that, but it's the name that caught my eye, Alive and Kicking. There's a double meaning there, isn't there? Uh, there is a double meaning. Uh, you guessed it. Can you guess what it's for? Well, I know that when I see you online, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or especially Instagram, I see one of two things. I either see you giving talks or things around you know, what you do professionally, and if it's not that, uh, there's cleats on your feet and uh, there's <laughs> soccer involved. <laughs> uh, you're exactly right. So uh, the, the name Alive and Kicking comes from you know, the fact that regardless of how many uh, tumors and how many surgeries? Uh, I still come back to the game that I love to play and and coach now more than than playing, which is of course the beautiful game, uh, which is soccer, uh, or as we call it, football. How did you get involved in the sport? You know, it's it, it's funny. You know, uh, I, I joke that uh, Lynch syndrome is the genetic predisposition to colon cancer, endometrial cancer, and soccer, but. So far, I haven't been able to prove the direct link between 
um, uh, Lynch syndrome in soccer, but I am working on it. And uh, as I've gone <laughs> along in life, I'm finding more and more people who are Lynch positive and have a, uh, an affiliation to soccer. So there could be something there. Uh, but the reality is I started playing when I was five. It's not as if, uh, you know, I came, I came directly off the boat and, you know, my family didn't speak English. Uh, it was just, uh, something I started playing. I was good at it and, uh, I kept going and, uh, you know, played all through college and played as an adult and now I coach. It's, uh, I'll, I'm just the type of person that throws on the TV. I don't care who's playing. I don't care what language the, the announcers are coming across in uh i'll watch the game just because i enjoy it do you coach your kids team uh and fortunately or unfortunately i do coach my kids uh, <laughs> as they've gotten older and uh gotten into high school and, and then now one is in college uh they've progressed out of me um i've been asked if i ever wanted to coach you know further along out of the youth leagues and get into the school and, and whatnot but uh i'll let others do that well, let's go back to alive and kicking. Uh, when did you find find the when did you find the organization or uh, you know get it off the ground? And what was your inspiration? Well, alive and kicking goes back, uh, you know, about really goes back to two thousand nine when I started writing. I started writing a blog, and that was when it was originally called Alive and Kicking. Uh, by then, I had had uh, colon cancer twice. And, uh, we were kind of finding our way in the, uh, the nonprofit world. We hadn't actually incorporated uh, Alive and Kickin' as a, as a foundation yet. So I was doing some work with other foundations. Uh, I was, you know, I would, I would, you know, walk the hill with Fight CRC and I was in the, the colander for the colon club. And, um, you know, I was even part of the, the CCA Sapphire you know, a visionary award ceremony. So, um, we realized after a number of years of being in the colon cancer world, cause that's what I had, that there really was no focus per se on Lynch syndrome. And, you know, you know, we, we felt very strongly that there was a, a really significant need, um, that the awareness wasn't there. There was no, there was no voice and pun intended, uh, with, with my voice that we, decided to do something about it. Uh, we felt that if, uh, if we get, weren't the ones doing something about it, we don't know who would. So we, you know, we, we created the foundation, you know, about six years ago and, you know, started figuring out what we wanted to do with how to get the word out. We did some soccer events, did some fundraising. Um, and it's really started to take a life of its own in the past two years as we really have found our strides. When did you first find out that you had Lynch syndrome? I found out about Lynch syndrome uh, after I developed colon cancer for the second time. Um, you got to remember, you know, we're going back a ways. So back in 1997, when I was 29 and I had colon cancer the first time, people weren't talking about genetics yet. Uh, as I like to joke, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. <laughs> um, but there was a family history was right there. My grandfather had colon cancer in his 60s. Um, my father had colon cancer in his forties. Um, so when I got colon cancer at 29, it was almost kind of like a rite of passage. Uh, there was the, the family history was on the chart, but there was nothing in discussion about genetics at that time. 
my older brother developed colon cancer three years after me when I when he was 37. But it really wasn't until 2007 when I developed colon cancer the second time that really alarms started going off. And by that time, there was you know there was more there were tests there was testing being geared towards Lynch syndrome, and you know for the genetic counselor and the and you know my GI doctor it was a pretty a relatively easy diagnosis at that time uh, because of the whole history and putting all the pieces together. Have you met uh, Dr. Lynch? I have met Dr. Lynch. He's, he is uh, he was kind enough to be on camera also for our foundation. You know, as we put together the registry, he, he's on camera. We obviously met his son. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a cool thing to meet someone like that. I can imagine. Yeah. How many kids do you have, Dave? I believe I have three. Um, <laughs> last time you checked? <laughs> last time I checked. Um, we have three boys. The The oldest is now 21. Uh, middle, as I call him, that's his actual name is middle. Um, he's now 17, but soon to be 18. And, uh, which is this month, actually, he, he turns 18 and he will have his genetic testing. Uh, we've decided to wait until there are adults and can make their own decisions, uh, one way or another. Um, and we also have the 13 year old. So all boys. That, that's where I was going to go because uh, recently I interviewed uh, Diana Sloan. And for our listeners, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it's the colon cancer podcast.com forward slash 077. And she and I talked about talking to your children, uh, in her case, about cancer, about life, about death. And at what point, you know, do you. Do you know it's the right time to have a, a genetic conversation, particularly Lynch syndrome in this in this situation, with your children? You know, the, at what point is it time to inform versus you know not scare them? You know those kinds of things. Uh, I get the I get the question a lot about when is the timing, and um, you know I like to point to my case, but I also point to my case and say that not everyone is like me. Uh, as I alluded to with the family history, that family history also includes a very long, positive, um, robust life post-surgery. So while my grandfather uh, had colon cancer in his 60s, he passed away of Alzheimer's in his late 80s. Uh, my father, even after, he's had three tumors and numerous surgeries. He's, as I like to say, alive and kicking, uh, turning 85 this year. Uh, my older brother is still around, also alive and kicking, so to speak. So we've had the positive outcomes. And again, you know, with my kids, they've only known me as a survivor. Uh, by the time uh, my oldest, you know, was, was able to realize things, you know, he, he just saw his father as somebody with a big old scar because back then you, there was no laparoscopic surgery. Um, and I maintain a schedule that most, as I would say, normal people don't keep. And so from that standpoint, you have the positive outcome, you have the positive uh, feeling, you know, of, you know, everyone's a carrier of something. It's just a question of what. So it was an easy conversation for us to have. And it's been a way of life. And, and obviously with the foundation, everyone knows everything. But when my oldest was turning 18, uh, we brought him in to actually meet my oncologist. 
uh, before we ran the genetic test. And then she spelled everything out and, you know, had the genetic counts went through everything. And, uh, you know, the implications of if you're positive, the implications if you come back negative, because that has its own connotation. And, uh, but by spelling it all out and having a, an open conversation with our kids, we felt it was better than forcing it on them or also better than doing it while they're a minor and not having them know about it and, and kind of keeping it a secret that would, that we felt that was wrong. So you, they get tested at 18. Did the formation of the foundation expedite the family conversation at all, or did it just happen when it was going to happen anyway? It, it, I mean, it, 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 it kind of expedited the decision-making. So like I said, so we've been doing this. We've, we've been, I've been a, a public speaker about Lynn syndrome for years. So, uh, I'm, I'm everywhere and the kids would see this. So it's not as if they weren't seeing about it. They weren't hearing about it. They, they were able to see my, you know, making humor out of something that's very serious. And from that standpoint, it made the oldest, you know, his decision making very easy as far as doing it. And then ultimately when he got the results, uh, it also made it relatively easy to absorb. Um, you don't want to hear it one way. You, and you, to an extent, it, it's difficult to hear it the other way, even if you came back negative, uh, because then what? You know, you, you, There are three of them, and there's a distinct possibility that one may be positive, two could be negative. Uh, you, know, you can do the math. It's a 50-50 chance. Right, right. What are some of the misnomers about Lynch syndrome? Uh, the biggest misnomer about Lynch syndrome is that it's rare. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, some of the latest statistics are saying that, uh, one in 279 Americans, um, has a Lynch mutation hmm. and, uh, but it, you know, people, you, you know, you, you have a conversation with people, they have no idea what Lynch is. You, you, you can talk about BRCA. Uh, there's a significant uptick in, in knowledge of what BRCA is, uh, and you have to almost compare it to it and then go backtrack and explain what it is. Uh, but the biggest misnomer is, is the percentages, and it's, uh, it's crazy that it's not that rare. One of the things that I talk to people about quite often on this show is being your own advocate. Not everybody lives near a major medical center. Uh, a lot of people are in more rural areas. And oftentimes, you know, to the point you just made, there's a lack of awareness about Lynch. At what point, understanding that, I got to throw that caution, understanding that you're not a doctor and you should go to a doctor for real medical advice. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but outside of that, when might be the time that's that a patient uh, should let their doctor know that uh, getting tested is something that uh, they want to do. Well, again, uh, going from the the position of not being a, a, a you know a medical doctor, uh, the typically the best diagnostic tool that you have is your own family history. Um, and this is one of the biggest issues that we face in the medical world of uh, putting pieces together because of the disconnect between information. Um, if you think about it, it wasn't too long ago that people passed away of a stomach ache, right? That even, even, let's just talk about colon cancer, let alone you know genetics. Uh, you know, you get it. It wasn't 
50s, 60s, even the 70s, uh, people would just, they would literally die of a stomach ache. So we all knew what it was. No one talked about it. And therefore, it wasn't documented. But if you can look through your family history and, and start noticing, wait a minute, um, I have an aunt that passed away of ovarian cancer very young, uh, which could be easily mistaken as endometrial cancer. Um, there was breast cancer in the family. There was colon cancer in the family. You know, start putting these things together and start building your own family tree. Even if it's on a scratch piece of paper with a couple of crayons, I don't care what it is, you start putting two and two together and you realize there's something else there. You just uttered a phrase that just really hit home, and that was, no one talks about it. And, you know, wow, I, 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 I'm almost at a loss for words because it happened to me. I didn't find out till I was diagnosed, oh, yeah, my maternal grandfather, by the way, happened to die of colon cancer. Uh, with the holidays coming up, what a better time. Usually people are together with family and what, what better dinner conversation to have than seriously than to get your family history. Don't you agree? Well, the, the funny thing about uh, family get togethers is, is when did it become this, you know, Rockwellian <laughs> thing where everyone's supposed to be happy? I mean, I don't know what family get togethers you have, but you know, Typical family get-togethers, somebody gets hammered, somebody, you know, <laughs> hits on the wrong person. It's supposed to be an argument, so let's throw some fuel and fodder and talk about family history. That way you have someone else to blame, and it's easy. It's direct lineage. Um, so, yeah, obviously we're very open about the conversation. Um, but, uh, listen, there are still – inevitably you're going to be having people who uh, – even family members who – uh, will deny things, uh, who will avoid things. Uh, I, I'll be the first to say I'm human. And I, you know, the schedule I keep, it's very difficult to keep a, a regimen of diagnostic testing. Um, you know, I'm behind on just about everything except my colonoscopy. Um, pun intended on that one. I mean, that was actually, <laughs> we, we, we got um, it. <laughs> you got it. Good. Um, but you know, people are people and, and you have to realize that, but yeah, uh, I think the, is it the CDC or the NIH has uh, unofficially renamed Thanksgiving as Family Health History Day. Um, so I'm going to go with it. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with, uh, that, that you get paid for. <laughs> My day job? Your day job. Um, so uh, I work uh, as Senior Director of Sales at an organization called Semaphore Genomics. It is a renaming of what used to be Mount Sinai Genetic Testing Lab. Uh, the story behind that is I have been a Lynch syndrome patient uh, and a colon cancer patient, if you will, at Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan uh, since 1997. And as a day job, I had always been in healthcare sales uh, in one fashion or another, whether it's the company that my wife and I owned or working for other companies. So uh, about three years ago, Mount Sinai Genetic Testing Lab essentially uh, created a business around all of the genetic testing that was being done there. Uh, a lot of it was being referenced by other companies, uh, but essentially we decided to make a business out of this. And they asked me if I wanted to create a sales team. and. Um, I left the corporate world pretty quickly and jumped on the opportunity, and uh, I'm very excited with what I do. I, I get to do that during the day, and I get to do this 
during the day and I get to do that at night and I get to do this at night. Nice, nice combination. Tell I want to go back to your foundation a little bit. What is your vision for the future? What do you, you know, what do you hope to accomplish both short term and long term with alive and kicking.org? Well, the, the short term and long term goals are, are both very similar. Um, again, this has really happened over the last two years where we, we really found what we're looking for. The, you know, again, going back to the statistics of not only, you know, the uh, one in 279 um, having a lynch mutation, but the bigger statistic of 95% not knowing about it. So in order to create real change uh, for this, we started working with the Genetic Alliance. Uh, Sharon Terry and the Genetic Alliance, they are a just a, a whirlwind of, of activity. And uh, they had a platform called the Peer Platform that was designed to help essentially patients, like you said, be their own advocates and, and have patients update their own data uh, and upload it into a registry. So we applied to be the uh, essentially the Lynch Syndrome registry with the Genetic Alliance, and we were very fortunate to get a nice grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to do so. So we launched uh, uh, after... A number of months of, of my wife Robin really creating the registry with with the Genetic Alliance. We launched the what we call the Heroic Registry uh, about a year and a half ago, and the idea is to have patients upload their own data, centralize it, uh, but also share it with whoever they want. If they want to share it with uh, their family members, they can do so. They want to share it with their own physicians, that's fine. They want to share it with their institutions, like the hospitals, they can do that. They want to share it with the world. They can essentially click that off. And overwhelmingly, I mean, almost 99%, I mean, uh, I don't want to say everybody, but uh, anyone with, everyone who has put their data in the registry with that has had, that is a Lynch syndrome survivor or even a previvor has said, share my data with the world. I mean, this is, it wasn't surprising, but it was good to see that. So our goal is to, is to really have meaningful impact. And that's going to take getting, the, the hundreds of thousands of patients into the registry to really aggregate that data and really do some research. And the exciting thing is what's, what's coming, and you've probably heard of it, is, is a lot of these immunotherapies, and, and you know, again, going back to my day job, and this is part of the exciting things, is it's no longer just germline. It's no longer just hereditary, but now tumors are being sequenced and depending on the genetic makeup of the tumors, that's determining the type of treatment that can be done. And, and as you've probably heard with immunotherapy and, and products like, you know, Keytruda and Optivo, they're being targeted towards MSI high, microsatellite unstable, which was my nickname in college. Um, you know, microsatellite unstable high tumors, which is, so all Lynch tumors are MSI high, not all MSI high tumors are Lynch. Um, it's really an exciting time to be in, in this world. Um, so the registry is one huge component. Uh, we're very excited about that. We also have a new uh, education module, uh, a whole deck geared towards uh, GI physicians, primary care physicians, OBGYNs, so that those physicians who are on the front lines of seeing patients who could potentially benefit from you know, hereditary cancer testing uh, they can be educated about Lynch syndrome. So it becomes top of mind. And it's not just what is Lynch. 
uh, oh, it's BRCA, but it's different. So that's 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 coming out, you know, literally this week. Great stuff. What resources do you have uh, on the website for uh, those that have been diagnosed with Lynch? So on the website, there is the link to the registry. So the heroic there there is you know you can scroll through and you can find the link to uh, go onto the registry. You can fill out the survey on it. You can upload whatever data you want to it, um, and that data can consist of you know PDFs with from scans. It can be just um, you know Word documents, whatever you, whatever you want to upload. You can do that. Um, obviously, we're working on the the idea of being able to eventually. Uh, allow that data could be forwarded to your physicians to use in their own EMRs, but we're not there yet. I see. And again, that website is alive and kickin without the G dot org. Alive and kickin dot K I C K N. K I C K N dot org. The other ones were taken. The other ones were taken. <laughs> well, Dave, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing this uh, helpful information for uh, those of us that have been. That touched by colon cancer and more importantly those that have been touched by Lynch syndrome uh, want to wish you and your organization just great success where else can people find you online where else can they find me online uh, seemingly everywhere uh, obviously the website is, is alive and kicking dot org we do have a you know we do have a Twitter feed uh, my uh, my Dave's colon uh, Twitter feed is a little bit more sarcastic than my alive and kick and Twitter feed, but uh, um, you can, you can choose which one you want to be attached to. Uh, we do have an Instagram feed. We are on LinkedIn. Uh, apparently as of tonight, we're on Skype. Um, <laughs> we do have, of course, our Facebook page. Uh, I, I've heard of, I've heard of this Facebook thing. I'm not really sure it's going to last. Uh, I think it's a fad. <laughs> Uh, there's a guy out there, I think, uh, another lawnsman named Zuckerberg. You may want to ask him about that. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, if I reach him, and then I'll see if he uh, wants to donate to the cause. <laughs> Sounds good. Dave, thanks again. Be well, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast, and thank you to our sponsor, H2ORS. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud sponsor of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone. <laughs>